This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Romans 5:12-21 Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In light of the theme of the uh, service so far, uh, I'm patterning uh, the truths of Romans around that today. I think there's a lot to teach us about the proclamation of the gospel and the sharing of the gospel it starts, of course, with our own interaction with Jesus, and it moves out into the world. Uh, I have been privileged and blessed to be a part of two mission trips. Let me tell you about them just briefly, and then move on into the work of Jesus. Uh, my first was when I was in college, and I did a mission trip to Myrtle Beach. The locale was nice. The circumstances were awful. Uh, it was a uh, uh, 10 guys downstairs, 10 girls upstairs and uh, lived in this uh, house at Myrtle Beach with no air conditioning. So it made this feel like just a bomb. It was just disgusting. Ten college guys just kind of sleeping in the floor. Uh, And what the purpose of that mission trip to do was uh, to begin to learn uh, life uh, mission and how the two worked in together. 
So on this mission trip, you had to have a job. Even if you raised a certain amount of money, you had to go get a job at Myrtle Beach somewhere. We had folks working in restaurants. I worked in a movie theater, which is wonderful. Uh, just you had to get out and you had to learn how to uh, love and befriend people who didn't know Christ in the workplace. And then as a group, we would do different activities on the beach. We did do, uh, there wasn't door-to-door, I guess it was towel-to-towel evangelism. We would walk around and share Jesus with people, and uh, we did a certain number of large events. Uh, And it taught me so much about going into other people's environments. It taught me about the awkwardness of just interrupting people and telling them about Jesus. And it began to give me an idea as a college student what it might look like to be a Christian in the marketplace, because ultimately that's going to be the case for all of us. Whether we work at home or we work at a job, we ultimately have got to figure out how to take Jesus to the marketplace or the environments around us. Uh, I had a second opportunity. Amy and I went to England uh, when she was pregnant with Landry, and we went to the South Hall and Wembley areas of England. They are primarily populated with uh, Indians and Muslims, and we did the exact same thing. We did door-to-door, knocked on doors. We did Uh, large open-air evangelism, but it gave us a great sense of like, what does it look like to go out of our community and awkwardly go into other communities? And interestingly enough, we stayed at a place that didn't have air conditioning there either. And so uh, whatever the case, ours have all been uh, very balmy. As I reflect on those things, uh, when I did them the first time, and I did it with Amy, and I did it with uh, friends from college, there was such an excitement there was such a joy. There wasn't a ton of fear, a little bit more fear in the South Hall Wembley mission trip, but there was such an excitement about what we were doing. Like, we are taking Jesus uh, to areas where Jesus didn't seem to be present. And when I remember reflecting on it, uh, I, God was very gracious, and we had good leaders, that what they did is they taught us to really follow the pattern of Jesus, which makes sense if you're going to share the gospel and take what you know of Jesus to somewhere else. If you think about the mission of Jesus, the first thing he did always is he, he had to go. He had to leave home, he had to leave his family, and he had to go into the midst of those who needed Jesus. There is a sense, of course, where uh, the world is invited in, but beyond this, we spend the majority of our time going. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He left his family, he left his home, and he went somewhere to share the gospel. When you got there, you see a picture of Jesus listening and being aware of the needs of those around him. So when Jesus is is busting up the Pharisees there, what he's doing is he's going after the self-righteous who didn't think they needed a Savior. But when he went into those that the world had outcast, he very much found himself just sitting there. He was numbered among the sinners. He was so comfortable going there. He gained a poor reputation among the supposed godly. And then what we saw is that he served. He served those who needed to hear Jesus because more than likely, mercy is always going to be the first avenue of proclaiming Jesus. That's very much a pattern for all of us. Whether your marketplace ministry is the job you go to or whether it be the gym or whether we discover ministries for serving YMCA or the school next to us, we're going to have to go, we're going to have to discover what their needs are and we're going to have to serve them as a picture and an opportunity to proclaim Jesus. Well, as we approach the scriptures today, what that really is, what that really is, is an issue of leadership. Whose leadership are we following? 
Are we following the leadership of Christ and the command of the Father and the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Or, and the only other option, is ours. And when we look at Romans 5, that was just read for you, you're going to see two leaders. You're going to see Adam, and you're going to see Christ. And we're going to discover, well, whose leadership are we following personally? And then how is that going to inform our leadership to go into the world and proclaim Christ? So whereas I usually have a big picture question I try to answer, I couldn't decide this week, so you get both. You get a big picture question and a big idea. They both serve the same thing. Our big picture question is this, whose leadership are you following? But the big idea is the flow of redemptive leadership. They're both the same thing. You've got to figure out whose leadership you're following, and then we've got to look at the flow of redemptive leadership. How do we follow Jesus? I don't think I'm going to get to all three of my points this week, so that'll be in part two, but here they are. We've got to start from zero. We've got to move towards abundance, as the Scripture defines it, not the world. And then we've got to see what it means to abound in grace. That's the flow of redemptive leadership, and it's also the way for you to discover whose leadership you are following. Let's look at that first one, starting from zero. Starting from zero means you're starting from a place of need. Let's look at Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Stop there. Uh, The ESV gives a dash. I'd really prefer a comma, but that's just the English major in me. Here's the situation, friends. Adam sinned. And his headship covers every human being on the entire face of the planet. Everyone who ever has lived, is living, and will live. Adam was with, if you want to use the language, our covenantal head. And God had provided for him and Eve a wonderful place of fellowship and interaction with him. And they had responsibilities. They tilled the ground. They named the animals. There were things in which they did. But there was part of that existence that was excluded for them. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was something that was God's possession. And he told them, this is all yours, enjoy. But there's one thing you may not have, and that's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's mine. And as the story goes, if you haven't heard it, or if you've heard it before, Adam willfully chose to defy God. Eve was deceived, but Adam willfully chose I will purposely defy you, God. That which you says is yours is going to be mine. A cosmic treason, an epic disobedience that then caused every human being to be born into sin going forward. And God had promised them, if you sin, death is coming. Death is coming. That's what Romans tells us. That's the zero that we all start at. Because one man sinned, and death came through that sin, we all are sinners. Every one of them. We start at zero. We start at need. So when we consider whose leadership we're following, if we consider the flow of redemptive leadership, every day we must start at, aside from Jesus Christ, I have nothing to offer. Aside from Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. And if I don't know Jesus, death is what awaits. That's also the reason for this difficult world we live in. Allow me, if you will, to just take a little off-ramp for a moment. 
I've been thinking lately about uh, our interaction with God, and we, we, we have a beautiful, beautiful world here. It's full of homes and food and fellowship, and we enjoy it. But whenever death enters into that world, we have a tendency to shake our, hit, our, our fist at God. Death hurts, it's painful, and we get angry. I fear it's often because it interrupts this world and it doesn't cause us to long for heaven. It calls for us to have a return of the, the wonderful, beautiful life that we enjoy. And my encouragement in the midst of the struggle of pain and death, the difficulty that I've experienced and we've all experienced, is that in the midst of those things, God is calling and drawing our hearts back to him, causing us to long for heaven and long for redemption. Friends, my call to you today is as you experience trial and difficulty, the outworking of the death and decay of this world, God is drawing you back to him. And whereas we may not understand it, and we may be tempted towards bitterness, God's call is to say, I've drawn you out of this world for myself, and ultimately to a home in heaven. A swing back. Verse 13. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is confusing. <laughs> it's not our day-to-day -day language. Remember, Paul's primary audience was a Jewish set of Christians who were then growing with a bunch of Gentile Christians. What that means is, is that the early church was made up of a bunch of people who grew up under the Old Testament and the law, and they became Christians. And then God graciously brought in a bunch of pagans who knew nothing of that. And what Paul is trying to emphasize here is like, hey, to my, to my religious Christians who grew up under Moses, you guys violated the law. But to everyone else, they violated a law as well. Like, sin is sin. You grew up underneath the law, there's sin, and those people before the law. Because, you know, think about before the law, you've got, uh, you've got all the sins that were around in Noah's time. You've got, um, oh my goodness, you got a mess. You've got Abraham and Hagar, sort of that work relationship with benefits that was a mess. And then you've got Joseph and his brothers wanted to kill him. There's plenty of sin before the law. And when the law came, it just seems like it got worse. And what Paul wants to emphasize here is, hey guys, the whole world just starts at zero. The whole world starts with a great need of Jesus Christ. And we never move beyond the dependence of Jesus. So in this first portion of Scripture, here's my encouragement to you, friends, is that when you wake up in the morning, when you're first encountering the needs of your day, or you're first encountering the sin or sickness of your day, or the first encountering the struggle with a broken relationship, or you're first encountering the struggle to go to work, or when you're first encountering the financial worries that you have, or when you're first encountering the health problems that you have, every one of those is to remind you, hey, you're starting with a need of Jesus. And our temptation is to despise every one of those. God, why do I have a financial problem? Why do I have a health problem? Why do I have a relationship problem? Why do I have, uh, and you list every one of them, and they're all serving to remind you of how much you need the work of Jesus. He weaves grace in your life through every one of them. So in your work situation, Christ is present to show you how to accept grace and apply grace. 
In your broken relationship, Christ is present to remind you that he fixed your relationship with God and he can move reconciliation between you and another person. When you're dependent upon Jesus because your health is poor, the reminder there is that Christ has healed you spiritually and ultimately will heal you physically in heaven. Every single need of your mourning is intended to remind you that Christ leads you towards the Heavenly Father through his work. And yet, we despise it. And brother and sister, I relate. Sometimes I just want to wake up and not be worried about a single thing. Those worries are intended to draw you away from your concern and move you towards a greater dependence of Jesus Christ. That's what the the flow of redemptive leadership looks like. Not moving beyond Jesus in a single thing. Now, here, this next section, uh, moving towards abundance. This is probably as far as we'll get this Sunday, if you don't forgive me. I don't mind the, the prayers. Let me take a moment to ease up from all the heaviness for a minute here. Uh, abundance is a wonderful word that the, uh, word that the world has sort of uh, borrowed. Uh, working out of abundance, living out of abundance, but it's not tied into Christ. And I want us to reclaim the word abundance. So this week I was thinking, uh, about literary characters that were really, really rich. Who are the literary characters who have a lot? And believe it or not, I found the list of the 15 wealthiest literary characters of all time. Not quite sure how they figured this out. And unfortunately, it's British, so I'm going to have to give it to you in pounds, and I didn't have the energy to translate it today, okay? So I want to give you the five richest literary characters of all time, okay? Everybody picked the Gatsby, but he's not even in the top ten, okay? It's not the Gatsby. Here, number five was Citizen Kane. Have any of you even seen Citizen Kane? They, they put his wealth at 11 billion pounds, okay? Number four, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is the fourth wealthiest fictional character of all time. I can get that. He seems to build a lot of things that get destroyed over and over and again. Number three, <laughs> Carlisle Cullen from Twilight takes the number three. Anybody? If you recognize that you're embarrassed, okay? Carlisle Cullen... The vampire in Twilight is the third wealthiest fictional character of all time. Number two, Smog, Smog from Hobbit. He's just got all this gold he's sitting on, never spend it. My favorite, number one, literary richest character of all time. Anyone got a guess? Scrooge McDuck comes in at number one. They're assuming he has a $63 billion wealth from the DuckTales. Some of you, that is your childhood was DuckTales. I bring you all this to you because the world values abundance. The one thing that will praise this world anything more than that is wealth and abundance and riches. It'll either give you the desire to go get it or it'll make you feel small. It'll make you violate trust that you have. It'll give you a drive to get going. It'll help you work 18-hour days. Abundance, like wealth-wise, will drive the world. But I want to show you an abundance that's greater than Scrooge McDuck and Smaug from The Hobbit. I can never say that word. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. The trespass is all that death I just mentioned, right? It's the broken relationship. It's the, it, it, it's the sin. It's the sin. It, it's, the, it's the health problems. But the free gift from Jesus is not like that. It's different. Many died through one man's trespass. Much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
The free grace of Jesus abounds to many. I love that word abound. It's where we get the, the root of the word abundance. It just, it just, I get the sense of just bouncing around it so much. The free grace of Jesus just abounds to you. Like it's limitless. You can't find its end. You can't exhaust it. You can't sin more than God can forgive. He's more ready to forgive than you are eager to sin. It's just different. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. What was the result of the one man's sin? Death. The free grace of Jesus is not like that. For judgment, following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift, through many trespasses, brought justification. Jesus walked through all those all those trespasses, and what he brought was justification. Whereas Adam sinned, and we all die, Jesus dies and lives again, and we all have a repaired relationship with God. Don't move beyond the wealth of a repaired relationship with God. You may very ask yourself yourself this today. You might say, what do I have to be encouraged about? What are you down about? You might say, everything. What are you discouraged about? I can't even list it all. But I ask you, what are you encouraged by? Christian, this is where you start. Somehow, I haven't messed up this relationship with God yet. Oh, I've messed up my friends in the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. I've messed those up. My spouse is mad at me. My boss is mad at me. Everyone at the gym's stronger, faster than I am. I messed all those up, but somehow I didn't mess up my relationship with God. You try to, you go, wait a minute, but I sinned, and that person doesn't know what I did. I was too harsh to my spouse. I was too quick to be mean to my kid, but somehow I didn't mess up my relationship with God. You can list and list and list. You can think, surely God's mad at me today, but he's not. Surely he's building up some anger and judgment for me. No, Jesus got all that. You see, the free gift of grace is greater than the trespass. Because the trespass gets worse and worse and worse. Because that's what sin does. But once you are forgiven through Jesus Christ, you literally can't mess it up. Oh, we're called to obey, of course. We're called to confess our sins. But when you have the grace of Jesus Christ placed on you by your faith in Jesus, it will not be removed. It cannot be diminished. You don't sit in the nosebleed seats of heaven. You haven't lacked intimacy. God stands every day waiting, looking for you to run to him, and he meets you with a cape and a dinner and great joy. You cannot mess that up. And so when you're struggling for finding one reason to be encouraged today, Jesus has brought your justification, and the free grace is greater than the trespass. You cannot mess it up. Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How many of you are reigning in life? Reigning is royalty language, right? Reigning is royalty language. It was last week, I think, when the last royals had the wedding, like two years ago or something like that. Some reason that popped up in my Facebook feed. I don't know. There were like 1.6 billion people who watched that wedding, and I can't even remember their names right now. 
But for that brief moment in time, the world wanted to know what it was like to be a royal. Netflix, HBO, Showtime, they've all got royalty shows. We love it. We're all caught up with what the idea of being royalty is. All the while forgetting the fact that Christ has made you royalty. You can't reign without royalty. The trespass is not like the free gift. The free gift is not like the trespass. Because you're not reigning in death despite what Slayer said in that one album in 1987. No, you're reigning in life. You're like, Gordon, I haven't felt like I was reigning in life since I won the spelling bee in fourth grade. I know, friends. I know. It's not a matter of any of your circumstances changing for you to reign in life. Not one thing has to change. Nothing has to change for you to reign in life. Not one single circumstance, not more money, not a different relationship. What reigns in life for you, what causes you to reign in life, is that you have the free gift of Jesus and your relationship with God cannot be messed up or damaged, and he calls you sons and daughters of the king. You are sons and daughters of the king. And we have forgotten to meditate on that fact. We have decided that a circumstance would be better than the fact that we can never be lost through Jesus Christ. We have decided that some extra measure of worldly wealth would make us royalty, more so than the wealth of the riches and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are yours, Christian. And if we are blessed and gifted in any way with someone in this crowd who doesn't know Jesus, I implore you to explore Jesus Christ in this service and with someone afterwards. Because we will all grow in frustration if we seek the value of the world in comparison to the value of Jesus Christ. You have received the abundance of grace, a free gift of righteousness to reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Every one of those things is free to you. You will not urban, you will not strive it. You will not graduate to it. You will not be promoted to it. It is free through Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't have time to move on to the third portion or even get to our truth, application, and action. We're just going to pick it up next week. So next week, I'm going to preach everything I just preached and give you a little bit more at the end. We're going to celebrate that God is proclaiming Jesus through our missionaries. And we're going to proclaim and celebrate that what he wants in you is to use your recognition of the leadership of Christ and that redemptive flow of leadership in your life to be proclaimed to others. It might be as simple as a kind word to someone at work or at the gym. It might be you being gracious to the person who is an outcast in your circle. It might be as large as us figuring out how to serve these hundreds of people who come and play baseball every single Sunday out here. It might be welcoming the new principal who is showing up at the school year. I don't know, but I do know that God is working in our hearts to say, how do we take this grace of Jesus and proclaim it? And if we will join in prayer, the beautiful thing is more and more people are going to get to reign in the free grace and abundance of Jesus Christ. We won't do it alone. He'll overcome our inadequacies. He will overcome our fear. He will overcome our timidity because we reign in Jesus Christ and that's what we have to offer to a hurting and needing world. Please, let's bow your head. Let's pray. Father, can you believe there's even more in this scripture than this? There's even more here that we haven't even touched on. We didn't even plumb the depths of the verses we looked at. Father, thank you. Thank you that the gospel goes forward. 
It goes forward in the scriptures. It goes forward in the song, the sermon, the sacraments. Father, it goes forward through our faithful missionaries. And you know what, Father? Your word going forward is not going to return void. It's going to have the effect to which you have called it to. Father, right now what we need is we need to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ and recognize that we reign in the abundance of We need to celebrate what we have already received and look for great anticipation of you doing great things with us. Father, our hearts are broken. We do struggle financially. We struggle with health issues. We struggle relationally. Those are real needs, Father. But we can come to you in the throne of grace, the sons and daughters of the King, and ask for your assistance and grace and your Holy Spirit. Hears those things, heals us, and works. Would you heal us yet again? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.